0: It might not be a familiar sound to us so much anymore because we're so used to digital time. But for many of us, that's a very familiar sound. The ticking of a clock reminds us of the passage of time. You know, the story told in the Bible was largely shaped by a very different culture, a culture that was very different in terms of its sense of time, largely shaped by Bedouin culture in the Middle East. The Bedouin people live in tents, and they care for goats and sheep and camels. That's why you read so much about them in the Scriptures. The families in the Scriptures were a Bedouin-type people. The Bedouins move around as the seasons shift, and they have a very different way of thinking about time than you and I do. We're used to very precise times, so that if we arrange to meet for breakfast, we say, okay, we'll meet at 8 o'clock. Or if we say we're going to have a worship service, we say we're going to start at 1015 Or if you take, or we're also used to precise time frames. So if you take a test in school, they'll say, you have 45 minutes to do this test or this part of the test. Or the instructions for frozen food will say, microwave this for three minutes. Very precise times. But there's no reason for Bedouins to track time that precisely. And so you'll see in the scriptures often the time frames are a little more fluid or approximate. Someone once asked a Bedouin leader, how long does it take to move your flock from one field to another? And he said, not long. They asked, what time is tea served? And he said, when the water boils. <laughs> well, what time do you go to bed? And he said, when I get tired. There's just no need to... to um, Track time that much more precisely. Actually, I think uh, the reason why we do so actually, if you read the history of this, is connected to the advent of trains and train service across the the nation. Uh, But that's for another another conversation. Time is something we don't usually think that much about, other than the keeping of it. We don't think about how it got here or what it's like. What it would be like to to do without it? It's kind of like air or water or daylight. We just take them for granted as part of. What's built into our world, they're part of the created world that God provides, that God gives to us, and together they, they are part of what makes life as we know it possible. There, as far as I know, there isn't any one verse in the Bible that specifically says God created time, just like I don't think there's one that said God created air but those things are just built into the world. And the creation account, if you're probably very familiar with, divides creation, God's creation, into seven days, into specific time frames. So it's, it's just built into the creation of the world. And it's so much so that you and I can't really think about anything that's not connected to some kind of time sequence. It's hard to tell a story without there being some kind of movement in time. Or even as we think about, uh, well, I was going to say tomorrow. I mean, even there, we're just built into the way we think about the world. Time has been given to us for the ordering of our lives. It's one of God's gifts to us. As I said last week, these, uh, these gifts that God has given to us, actually, Earl, let's put up the next slide that shows the, the, the six different things that we've talked about, we're going to be talking about in this series, that God has given us these things for our, our benefit So we've already talked about money last week. We talked about talent the week before that. We talked about the creation or earth today. We're talking about time. We're also going to talk next week about health and then later on about relationships. And as Jeremy said two weeks ago, the focus of this series is on what we do with what God has given us. That's a really, I think, a really helpful way to think about stewardship, what we do with what God has given us. And these are the kinds of things, some of the things that God has given us. And as I said last week, I think that these things are given to us for at least three reasons. One of them is, to, is for us to enjoy them. One of them is for us, for the, because they structure our world and so they give us uh, what we need to, be, to, to live fully human lives. So they're given to us for us to enjoy them, but they're also given to us for us to care for, to manage well, and in some cases to multiply them. And then thirdly, I think they're also given to us, as Derek said this morning, for the blessing of other people, for us to serve other people with. Ours for others. I think that's, that's a really helpful phrase to keep in mind. That we often get stuck on one of the first two where I'm just so delighted with and I'm happy to own the things that God has given me, I forget that God has entrusted them to me. Maybe that's a better way to think of it. Entrusted them to me, given them to me. hours for others. Well, if God created time... That means he exists outside of time. He's not bound by time. It's almost impossible for us to understand what that must be like. For for God, it seems that the past and the present and the future are all there in front of him. It seems like God sees all of them equally in a way that's impossible for us to do. And yet God does interact with us in time. God uses time to accomplish his purposes Look at 2 Timothy, the, letter, the, second Tim, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In there he says in chapter 1, He, God, has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. There's somehow that in the design of, in the creation of the world... God gave us grace in Jesus Christ. It was was part of his intention from before the beginning of time. So this is one of the phrases that regularly reminds us that God is outside of time. God is the one who brought time into being. His grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now, it has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here, a, a reminder that God exists outside of time, but also that God works in and through time. There's a way that God uh, waits to, do, to, to have certain things happen in his redemption story, in the way that he interacts with us. So that it says, um, it, now it has been revealed. It wasn't revealed before. Many centuries had passed before the coming of Jesus, but now it was time, it was time then for Jesus to appear and to, to move things forward in God's time. Another place this shows up is in Mark 1 through the words of Jesus himself where he's talking about his ministry. He's preaching in Galilee and it says, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What he said was, one of the things he said was, the time has come. The time has come. It's now time in God's work through human time. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Or we might say the kingdom of God has now come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's a deeper understanding of what God is about, of who God is and what God's purposes are that comes through Jesus Christ. And he says now, the time has now come. In Revelation, it talks about Jesus wrapping up human history. But we see in statements like this as well that Jesus is the Lord of history, the Lord of time, That he owns time. He's managing time on a bigger scale and he entrusts the task of doing that on a smaller scale to you and to me. It's also interesting as you think about God's work in human history to think about some of the ways that his timing was very precise. So, for instance, the coming of Jesus and the timing of Jesus' death being connected to the Jewish festival of Passover means that it was, it, was, it was one of the ways to make it very clear who Jesus was and some of the meaning behind who he was and his death, to have his death happen right at the time of the Jewish Passover, where sacrifice was being made for the sins of the people. And Jesus steps into that in a broader fulfillment. Similarly, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the very day when the Jews are celebrating in the festival of Pentecost the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit coincides precisely with that so that people will understand more fully that God is giving a new revelation, an additional understanding of his purposes and how he works with his people. And we also have promises in the Scriptures that there will come a time in the future where God will intervene again in a very specific way in human history, that Jesus will come again and inaugurate a whole new chapter of human history where he will make all things right, And the fact that God has done this before is part of how we have the confidence and the hope to know that he will do this in the future. He will carry out his promises in the future. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you six practical suggestions or six ideas, specific ways that you can live out an understanding that that my time is not really mine. Things that may help you to steward your time well. And I want to give credit to Pastor David Flowers, whose sermon I found really helpful along these lines. Some of what I have here is adapted from his, his sermon on these topics. So, for instance, as, you, as, as I go through these, um, I, have in mind things that you come across, like decisions that you need to make about how to use your time, new commitments that you might make, or invitations that you get for spending your time on this or that thing. So, for example, uh, when my son uh, Peter then, Caleb now, was in fifth grade, I was invited to help coach his basketball team. He was on a, a youth basketball team. And so I had a decision to make. It was going to take time, a time commitment. And I needed to think, is this, is this a good thing for me to do or not? Or maybe uh, you get a last second invitation from friends to go away for the weekend. How do you decide whether or not to go away for this weekend? Maybe it's a three-day weekend or four days. Are, is that a good thing for you to do or not? Or maybe your neighbors are beginning to organize a block party, but they need somebody to really make it happen and pull the details together. And maybe that's something that you enjoy doing. But is that something that you should give your time to? Some those kinds of questions confront us on a pretty regular basis. So have those those kind of things in mind. Whatever it connects to your situation, as we think about these six suggestions. The first one you see there is learn to be content. Learn to be content. In the letter to Philippians, to the church in Philippi, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in ev- any and every situation. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's a pretty broad claim. I wonder how many of us could say that. I've learned to be content whether I'm well-fed or hungry Whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul's regularly talking in his letters about the troubles that he faces, and yet for the strength, about the strength and the victory that he finds in relying on Christ. And he's saying, My contentment is not connected to my circumstances the way it used to be. I think this is a particular challenge for us, we who live in a time where we're used to not being uncomfortable. We can make almost any adjustment we need to or want to uh, for any kind of discomfort that, in, that we encounter. And on the one hand, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful time to be alive. On the other hand, I think it dulls us. It, it makes it harder for us to live in contentment. So learn to be content as, a, as an initial uh, piece of a, a suggestion or piece of advice. And if this is something that, that challenges you, I would urge you to, to take this to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to help you to grow in contentment, to, bring, to show you what kind of adjustments would be helpful to make so that you could grow in contentment and be a more content person. You might ask yourself if you struggle with discontent, if you're not somebody who is, knows much about contentment, to ask yourself, why not? <laughs> what gets in the way? What is it that I'm struggling with that keeps me from being content? What is it that I want or what is it that I think is lacking that needs to be addressed for me to live in more contentment? Once you get some clarity about that, you might be able to look at the goals you have in mind or the things that you're trying to make happen and say, are those worthy goals? Are those things I really ought to be anxious about moving toward or accomplishing? Are those just things that I want? Are they just my preferences that I don't really need to attach all this emotional energy to? Another question to ask yourself if you're discontented about a specific thing is, what am I going to do if what I want never happens? What am I going to do if what I want never happens? That's an important question to ask, especially as you, th- have, as you think about this verse and p- uh, try to hold those two things together. What does it mean for you to find contentment in the Lord? Will you be able to receive the peace of God if the thing that makes you discontent never happens. Several years ago when we first moved to Lancaster County, uh, I was working at a job that wasn't paying me as much as what I'd been used to before. Uh, Nita was focused on caring for our children, and so I was the primary bet- breadwinner for our family, and we were making enough money to make ends meet, but we, I, I prefer to... To, have, to, to be living in such a way that we can save some money, that we can put some money aside, that we have a little bit of financial margin. And I knew that the cars, we had two vehicles uh, because we were going different directions. We had three kids and uh, we felt like we needed two, two cars to make that work. And I was anxious one day thinking about how are we gonna ever get to replacing these vehicles? What are we gonna do several years from now when these cars were out and we have to replace them? I don't like to borrow money to buy cars, and I didn't, have the financial, I didn't have the savings to do it. And so I was wrestling with the, uh, God in prayer about this. And a question came to my mind that was very specific. And I knew I, have, I wasn't asking myself this question. It's one of the few times in my life where I felt like God asked me something very clear and specific. And the question that came to my mind was, what do you need right now that you don't have? What do you need right now? that you don't have? And I remember the question clearly because I still, it still comes back to my mind. From, I remind myself of that question from time to time. It's a wonderful way for me to reset my expectations because I had to acknowledge that I, there, there wasn't anything right now that I needed that I didn't have. We had a place to live. We had food to eat and to feed our children. We had the vehicles we needed to get around. I had a job wasn't anything I needed right then. I was worried about the future and what might happen if, what would happen if, you know, I was playing all that out. God's used that question in my life to deepen my sense of contentment, and maybe that will be helpful to you. Second suggestion in making question, decisions about time, pause and pray. Pray before making non-trivial decisions this is a very simple way to regularly make sure that God and God's call on your life is at the center of your life. It's, I don't think it's so important exactly how much time you spend praying in your day or in your week, but I think it is important. What is important is whether you live your life in an attitude of prayer. And what I mean by that is with an awareness of God's presence and God's call on your life and what God intends for you. Or maybe, when you, maybe you notice on a busy day like I off, too often do that I've just kind of been charging ahead with problem solving and working on the challenges in front of me and I have to stop and remind myself, God is present with me. I need to lean into his care and his direction. This simple habit is one way of realigning your life and your thoughts, on a, at least on a daily basis, if not more frequently. This doesn't mean that you have to wait three weeks to make every little decision, it just means pausing every now and then as you come onto these kinds of questions about commitments of your time and saying, Lord, is this something you have for me? Is this something, are you in this request? Does this fit what you're doing in my life right now? And that might seem like a silly question if you're being invited to coach a basketball team or go away for the weekend. But it's one of the ways to invite God's direction and God's purpose into your life Not because God will always give you specific answers to those questions, but because sometimes you know enough to answer that question yourself. You already have a sense of how God is working and what God is calling you to. And it helps you to just clarify what's happening here, also to highlight our own self-centeredness, which so easily moves into the focus of our decision-making. So learn to be content. Pray before making decisions. Three, trust in God's timing. Trust in God's timing. God is never in a hurry. He wants you to rest in his care. You don't have to rush him. Often God's timing is slower than what we prefer. Have you noticed that? We're so used to things happening when we want them to happen that we get impatient when we need to wait for things to unfold. But, you know, one of the ways that time is built into the created order is that it takes time for things to grow and to develop and to unfold I just this week got ripe tomato fruit off of my plants. But you know what? I planted those two months ago. I've been watching them and tending them and waiting. There was no way to instantly get mature tomatoes off of those plants. I had to wait for them to develop. Same thing is true if you're a parent. Like this morning we dedicated children. There is no way to instantly take your child from age one to age 21. It just doesn't happen. It takes 20 years for that to happen. I just made some of you a little sad there, but uh, God gives us the grace we need for each week at a time, right? No matter what the challenges we face, but it takes time to develop and to walk. It takes time for relationships of any sort to develop. Trust God's timing and give, we need to invest the time that they require for these things to to come into fruition and to fully mature. Fourth, piece, uh, fourth suggestion, learn to say no. Learn to say no. One author says this is part of embracing the gift of limits, understanding that none of us is intended to do everything all the time. It's not God's design or purpose for you to do everything. He'll give you the time you need to do the things that God is calling you to do. David Flowers, the pastor I credited earlier, says that if you can't say no, you might be a pathological yeser. I've I've never seen that phrase before. He said, if you can't say no, you might be a pathological yeser. Maybe you struggle to manage your time well because you haven't learned to say no to less important things or to things that someone else could or should do. In your bulletin, there's a revised version of Psalm 23 that you might want to look at. It's not meant to be sacrilegious, it's just meant to express what happens to us when we lose control of our ability to say no. The author says, the clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression and hounds my soul, leads me into circles of frenzy and fills my life with activities. You can hear echoes of Psalm 23 here, but told from someone who can't say no. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines and my in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Just to be clear, if you're not very familiar with the scriptures, that's not what Psalm 23 says. This is an exaggeration that goes in a very different direction. But if that describes your life, this might be something for you to think about, a topic for you to consider. And I I actually have a few questions to ask yourself if if you're feeling like your life is just frantic right now. One question I think is important to ask is what season of life am I in right now? What season of life am I in? One of the things I've learned by completing multiple decades of life is that my life has been lived in seasons whether I wanted it to be or not. It's absolutely true. An early season is being a young single person. A young single person uh, who's in school or in college. Another season, if you marry, is the first year of marriage. That's definitely a season where you need to prepare Pay some focused attention to the season of life here. And you're making some major adjustments in that year. Am I in the season of life where I have young children in my household? That has implications for my time and how, what my options are to go beyond that. Do I have older, am, am I an older single person? That's a season of life. Am I, am I a teenager That's a season of, am I an empty nester? Am I a retired person? All of these things are different seasons of life and what you take on, what you uh, can manage will be different depending on the season of your life you're in because of your commitments, also because of your energy level, all kinds of things. So what season of life am I in? Secondly, does this request, this idea, this invitation I'm considering, does this fit my sense of God's purpose or God's priorities for this season of my life? Does this invitation I'm considering, this decision, does this fit my sense of God's priorities for this season of my life? So when I got the invitation, for instance, to help coach my son's basketball team, he was in fifth grade. I said yes to that. I had a somewhat more flexible schedule, but one of my priorities, I felt like one of God's priorities for me was to spend time with my children. And it was a structured way for me to do that, that I could manage around other commitments, Maybe going away for the weekend at short notice fits well for you in the season of your life that you're in, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe you have ongoing commitments that would be compromised or weakened if you did go away on short notice. You need to know what season of your life you're in and what God's priorities are for this season of your life. And if you don't know what those are, maybe that's a point of, of learning or growth or reflection. Do you know what God's priorities are? Do you have a sense of... Your and God's together's goals or priorities for you in this season of your life. Third question you might ask is, what will I have to give up to fit this in? What were I or we have to give up in order to fit this in? That's a it's an opportunity cost question that's important to ask before you commit to something that's going to claim a substantial amount of your time. Some of you are probably familiar with Stephen Covey's illustration at this point, which I think is really helpful. He talks about a teacher who brought in a, a gallon-sized jar and he filled it with uh, rocks that were about the size of fists, it says. Filled up a gallon-sized jar with uh, rocks uh, that were about the size of, of fists. And he said to the class, he said, is this jar full? And they said, yes, we watched you fill it up. It's full. So he reached under the counter and he pulled out a bucket of gravel poured that in, and of course the gravel settled in around the rocks. And he said, now is this jar full? And they were learning quickly. They said, probably not. (laughs) He said, you're right. He pulled out a bucket of sand and poured the sand in around the gravel and around the rocks, filled it up again. And he said, is this jar now full? By now they were really sharp. They said, no. And he said, you're right. He pulled out a, a bucket of water poured water in that filled up all the air spaces. And some bright uh, students said, oh, I get it, I get it. No matter how full your schedule is, if you work really hard, you can always fit more in. (laughs) Wrong, wrong, wrong moral of the story. The point of the illustration is, if you don't put the big rocks in, you'll never fit them in later. If you don't put the big rocks in, you'll never get them in at all. And so the question in that setting as well as for us today is what are the big rocks in your life? What are the the priority, the the most important things for you to fit into your your time? And have you put those in first? Are you fitting other things, less important things in around the big rocks in your life? I want to suggest to you that no matter what stage of life, what season of life you're in, at least two things should be among the big rocks in your, in your time jar. One is your relationship with God. Are you nurturing? Do you have time in your regular rhythm of your week to nurture and deepen your relationship with God? A second would be your relationships with the people closest to you. With your family. If you're married, it would include your spouse. If you have children, it would include your children. Another big rock that should be in there at whatever season of life you're in. Are you Do you have enough time in the regular rhythm of your week to attend to, to deepen, to nurture those relationships? And then you have other priorities, projects that you want to accomplish. Maybe it's a degree that you want to complete, that for a season you put, put some extra time and energy into. Maybe it's a cause that you care about. Maybe it's a mentoring relationship or a teaching responsibility that you take on. But the important thing is to think about these things ahead of time so you can put them in your time commitment, your time schedule, and fit other things around them. Quickly, uh, two more and then we'll be done. Fifth one is to keep a Sabbath day. Keep a Sabbath day. We'll talk more about this in two weeks, but honor the Sabbath day because it's a regular reminder to myself, to my mind, to my soul, that it's not all up to me. One of the lessons of a regular weekly break from your work is the reminder that it's not all up to me and my productivity, all up to my effort. Just like giving some of my money is a way of saying I trust God to provide me with more, I'm not ultimately the source of my own income. So taking a Sabbath, taking one day a week where I Take a break from whatever my weekday work is, whatever my, my paying, my income is connected to, taking a, a, a one-day-a-week break from that to, to worship, to connect with other people, to attend to those big rocks in my life, to, to play and to enjoy the things around me. Number six and final suggestion. Do a checkup once a year, at least once a year. Take some kind of an inventory on how you're doing. I've given you a number of ways to think about that this morning, I actually need to follow my own advice here. I've done this sometimes, but I realize it's been a while since I've done this. So note to myself, I'm I'm, I'm formed by my preaching. This is something I need to put on my to-do list is to take a checkup, to take a a few hours. Some people do this at the end of the calendar year. Take a few hours or a half day, maybe a full day if you can manage that, to to take stock on how am I doing with my priorities, with my time, and how I'm managing my, my commitments is there anything that God's calling me to do that I haven't made time for? Is there anything in my life God's calling me to address that I've just been pushing aside because, I'm, because of my busyness? I just don't want to attend to that. Are there things that I'm doing and I have in my schedule mostly because someone else made me feel guilty for not doing it, and I'm actually doing this to fulfill someone else's agenda for my life? Take stock, take, do a checkup. Someone recently, I heard someone recently say, the greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness is not pleasure-seeking, it's distraction. The greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness in our time is distraction, not hedonism or pleasure-seeking. So I would urge you to, especially if when I said that, you, you knew this was for you, I urge you to uh, take take an opportunity to do a checkup at least once a year as a reminder to yourself that my time is not really mine. And how am I using the time that God has given me to enrich my life? How am I managing it well? And how am I blessing others with my time? Lord, we want to be a people who Manage the things that you give us well and in the ways that you intended when you gave them to us. And this morning, as we think about our time and we know that we live in a time where we almost pride ourselves on busyness, Lord, we open this part of our, our journey to you this morning and invite you to speak to us, to give us an insight about how we might take another step or two steps in honoring you more fully, more faithfully with our time. Lord, may you root your contentedness deep within us so that we are people who live out of our priorities and out of our sense of purpose, your purpose for us, and that we're not just tossed about and drawn here and there by the winds of distraction that so easily pull us aside and off track. Lord, we invite your work in us and your voice to us. In Jesus' name, amen.